We actually did a podcast in an hour, Amal. I thought we'd be talking at midnight, bud. <laughs> I thought I'd have to go away from the games tonight to do a podcast. So, Elliot, I don't know how often we're going to do this this season, but something tells me we're going to do this a lot uh, before the podcast gets published. This is your Friday morning 32 Thoughts update. Philadelphia over New Jersey, 5-2, to two, uh, connecting with a pair, Morgan Frost with a pair. You know, we always think of, you know, our former colleague, Andy Frost, in Q107 and Psychedelic Sundays. Yes. Um, John Tortorella's debut, Carter Hart, 35 saves, a lot of injuries for the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Ivan Provorov with 10 block shots, no Nico Heischer, hamstring injury. But the big news before this one, Travis Sanheim's extension, as you tweeted about yesterday, was announced by the Flyers. It is eight years, $50 million, 6.25 on the AAV. I wonder if Calgary GM Brad Treliving sent a note to Chuck Fletcher saying, I deserve a finder's fee for this because I did all the work with Mackenzie Weger and you didn't have to do anything. <laughs> I don't know that when Dylan Larkin finally signs his ticket that uh, that Lou Lamarillo is going to get a thank you from Steve Eisman <laughs> from the Matthew Barzell contract. Not sure that's going to happen. <laughs> You're right about that. Uh, you're 100% right about that. Look, the template was set. What a day for Philly. Um, the funniest thing was, I don't know if you saw the quote after the game, but someone asked Sanheim about you know how he told his teammates, and he said, Yeah, uh, TK kind of blew it this morning. Connect me blew the secret. During morning skate, so I had uh, it got around pretty quick, and um, guys were aware this morning that uh, you know there was a chance I was going to sign, and um, you know, we had to finalize the, the structure of the deal. So, um, you know, I think that the, the bigger thing was was the call to my parents yesterday. Um, just you know, a special moment to be able to share that with them, and um, tears in my eyes, tears in my mom's eyes, and um, you know, coming from a small town, it was. Uh, a really great day. I think this is an interesting one for Philadelphia because I think a lot of us are wondering about the direction they're going in. But if Sanheim had hit the market, there would have been a ton of interest. Oh, yeah. It's a very interesting line to walk because on one hand, you're saying, stop giving out these deals. But on the other hand, you're saying you can't have hard and fast rules like that. You have to decide each case on their own individual merits. And there's a lot of interest in Sanheim out there. I mean, I heard about it quietly. And Philly just decides he's part of the solution. So we're going to keep him. And ultimately, you have to make those decisions internally. Philly came out. I didn't know what to expect. I really didn't. You know, Hart hadn't played a minute in the preseason. And they kept on telling everybody that he's going to be, he's going to be okay. And I didn't know if I really believed it. And he was. And very quietly, Jeff, New Jersey. The Devils don't get a lot of hype or talk, uh, or at least compared to some other teams, but the expectations there were, were much higher this year. I don't know if I was convinced they were going to make up 30 points and get into the playoffs, but there's generally a feeling that they wanted to be in the race and playing meaningful games late in the season. And I don't want to jump to conclusions on one game, and it was Philly's home opener, and teams tend to be emotionally ready for that. But i got to think that the Devils internally think that was a bit of a thud, and they, they want to see better quickly. The Dallas Stars over the Nashville Predators 4-1. to one. A couple of things here. Wyatt Johnson, congratulations. First NHL goal, first NHL game. Suter sends it down low, waiting for the shot. There it is! And he scores! Wyatt Johnson... 
his first NHL goal at just 19 years of age. That was real nice. Taylor Sagan with three points. But in the spirit of we don't cheer for teams, we cheer for players. I think it's safe to say, Elliot, everybody in the NHL, either on the ice or around the game or in the stands, is cheering for Mason Marchman. Two goals yesterday. The first one uh, where he deeped out Roman Yossi was just just gorgeous, Elliot. Right in front, Ottinger with the save on Michael Grantler. There's a second attempt. He pokes it away with his stick. It's still loose. Alexander Carey can't handle it. And Mason Marshman working this and out. He's in alone. Marshman takes a shot. He scores. Marchment, the new acquisition. Free agent signing for Dallas in the offseason. That's his first goal as a star, and it's one to nothing. That signing pays off right away. What a toe drag early on Yossi. Freezes Saros, goes over the blocker. Peter DeBoer said it was visions of Mario Lemieux. And if you go back and watch it too, he almost starts from a dead stop. Like he's almost completely stopped when he starts that play. It's a wonderful goal by Mason Marchman, who was front and center last night. Fantastic goal. Absolutely fantastic goal. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about there with uh, Philadelphia and the Devils. I always look for the teams who win on the road on opening night Mm. because you know what happens is the home team, the fans are jacked, the team is jacked, and they went in there against the Predators, which is a really tough place to play. Like That is one of the hard rinks to play in on the road. And what do they do? They almost pitch a shutout against a pretty talented team. Like That's an impressive impressive win i i really like dallas i think they're a really good team i i do i and i think they've got a nice little blend there of um some veterans and some kids who really are good and the thing that i that was probably the best omen for them is tyler sagan three assists yep when tyler sagan plays it's not just him versus the opponents it's him versus his body and i'm not expecting him to stay on pace for 246 assists, Jeff. <laughs> but not like McDavid, who's on pace for 246 goals and 328 he, penalty he minutes. He like he could have the ultimate Rick Tockett season. He's on pace for it. Hmm. But I just think if you can get consistent offense from Sagan, that's a big wobble you for Dallas. They they looked excellent. And by the way, something I want to mention about the Stars is. They're starting up their own internal Hall of Fame, and at the end of the month, they're inducting Bob Ganey and, and Ken Hitchcock. So uh, that's October 29th, 30th weekend, so I wanted to mention that too. But they looked excellent on Game 1. And and you're right, Marchment, there's a lot of people rooting for him, though I would bet a lot of people who were who are rooting for him probably didn't predict he would undress Roman Yossi on night one. <laughs> it was quite spectacular, as, as DeBoer says, visions of Lemieux, and that would be the goal against Raymond Bork in his first game. Uh, New York Rangers over the Minnesota Wild, 7-3 is the final. Four points for Panarin, 1-3. The line with him, Trocek, and Lafreniere looked great. Chris Kreider with a pair. Marcus Foligno and Ryan Reeves throw down this in response to the Keandre Miller hits, who, by the way, is an RFA at season's end. And the way that money is going for yes. RFAs, it could be a very interesting season slash offseason for Keandre Miller. Igor Shosturkin with 33 saves. Matthew Boldy, by the way. Yes, he can do it even without Kevin Fiala Elliott. He has a pair of goals. But the story is the Rangers are good, full stop. They're excellent. You know, one thing about Miller that, that's interesting about it is 
I agree with you. I think he's a phenomenal player. One thing I saw during the playoffs last year is that he's one of those guys who might be a great player without the counting stats. So I'm always fascinated to where those contracts go. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Jonas Brodeen. People say about Brodeen, he's going to play for 15, 20 years. He's never going to put up great numbers because that's not his game. But he's just going to be an impactful player on the ice without doing it. I think about that when I think about Miller. Hang on hang on a sec. Did you just see what Matthias Samuelson signed for? That's a really good point. You've got me on that one. That's a large number. But even still, we're saying, hmm, who who wins in this deal? The Buffalo Sabres or Matthias Samuelson? Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, everyone's getting paid right now. And I look at Keandre Miller, and I'm like, okay, look what Samuelson just got. Let's begin there. I'm not used to you making really good arguments against me, but that's that's a really good argument. It's early in the morning. I've had two cups of coffee. I'm I'm, I'm good to go. (laughs) But, you know, the thing about the Rangers is, I think it was Amber who picked them to win the Stanley Cup. And because we worked the uh, opening night, the the U.S. doubleheader with Anthony. Yeah. And, you know, he said to me, do you think that's a bad pick? And I said, no, I, I don't think it's a bad pick. You know, what did we talk about that we really felt that the Rangers had a chance if they eased the load on Shesterkin a little bit and look at their first two games. They've taken what I think are two Stanley Cup contenders, the lightning in the wild and the wild on the road, as we talk about at their home opener, and they've beaten them 10 to 4. Mm hmm. Obviously, I watched a ton of that one on opening night. They overwhelmed Tampa. They were too fast for them. And I didn't watch as much of that one last night. But what I saw, and I, I, I saw what the wild coach, Dean Evison had to say. Well, sure. I mean, were we surprised? Yeah, I guess. Um, you know, uh, again, we thought our start was great. We thought our, uh, our energy was good. We thought our opportunities were great. Um, we thought our penalties were stupid as, as hell. Um, which, you know, has already been addressed, obviously, and will be again. And even if they don't score, they gain momentum off of it, and obviously they did on one of the first two. Now, I don't think you're going to do this for 82 games a season, but the Rangers have sent a message that they're fast and they can overwhelm you. Like, this this is going to be a really fascinating team to watch this year because they're sending a message early. They're they're a top contender. And... I'm impressed. The Mason Marchment play was the play of the night, clearly. But number two, uh, the first power play goal by the Rangers, the Chris Kreider goal. Panarin to Zibanejad, backdoor to Chris Kreider. Tick, 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 tick. Just firing the puck around uh, was a thing of beauty. Licks pass off the wall. Rangers get reset as Panarin has it back of the near wing. Cross-ice pass to Zibanejad to Kreider, who scores. He batted it out of the air, and the Rangers score on the power play and take a one nothing lead. The Maple Leafs correct the ship. Uh, they beat the Washington Capitals 3-2. to two. Matthews with the game-winning goal in the third period. Uh, Elias Samsonov with the win uh, against his former teammates, the Washington Capitals. Is all right in Leafland now, Elliot? I don't like to overreact after one game, and I don't like to call game two of 82 a big one. But in his own way, Sheldon Keefe made that a big game. When you come out after game one and you say what he had to say, and it's not only what he said, but the way he said it. Like, you have to watch him. You have to look at his face, his eyes, the intensity, the way he says it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with our effort. It was, it was just careless. Yeah, it was just careless. Like I said, I expect more. Our group should expect more. Not good enough to deserve to lose. What did you think of Matt Murray's first outing here? 
thought our guys had to be hung out to dry. It's, it's uh, one of the most dangerous teams in the NHL on the rush. You know, ever since their coaching change last year, they established themselves as one of the most dangerous teams on the rush. Caulfield, Anderson, these guys are some of the most dangerous shooters there are off the transition. And we talked about that this morning, talked about it before the game. And what does a power play need to do to get clicking here? That made game two a big game. He threw down the gauntlet right away. And I thought Toronto was a lot better. I thought they were very deserving of the victory. And there's two things I worry about the Maple Leafs. Number one is that I don't think they're overly quick. They're showing that in transition, if they make mistakes like they did against the Canadians, they're going to be in big trouble and teams are going to get odd man rushes and beat them down the ice. So when you're built like that in today's NHL, like you look at the Rangers and, and how fast they look, for example, if you're built like that in today's NHL, you have to be so disciplined and you have to be so smart at where you play to prevent that from happening. You have to A, not make the turnovers and B, you have to be in position if they happen. And they were better on night number two, but it says to me that Keefe clearly feels that there's a certain way that Toronto has to play to win, and they can't vary from it. Mm-hmm. Now, the other concern I have for them is right now, and again, it's it's game two, is still what's the goaltending going to be? Murray had a rough night in game one, and the two goals on Samsonov in game two, I'm sure he feels great. He beat his former team. There's nothing better than that feeling. But those were two tough goals. So I'm not sure what we're going to see here. I think the one other thing that really stood out to me in game two for Toronto was at the end of the game, who did they put on the ice to protect it? Justin Hall. Mm -hmm. He had a nightmare game one. He had a bad end of game there. Poor play on on the winning goal. But at the end of the game, they put him on the ice and he had a great couple of shifts to save it. And... That's big. I mean, one thing I watched with Holloway in Edmonton was he had a giveaway on, on the first goal against Patterson, Washington, yeah. against Vancouver, and Woodcroft put him out there again a shift later. Now, he didn't get a ton of time, but I thought it was interesting he put him out there a shift later. Hall, they put him out there at the end of the game, gave him a chance to redeem himself, and he did. And I think as a coach, that's all you can do is take your players and say, I'm trying to put them in the best possible position to feel good about themselves so we can win. Jonathan Huberto, one assist. Nazem Kadri, one assist. Mackenzie Weger, two assists. The Calgary Flames beat the Colorado Avalanche 5-3 to three in their home opener. You grabbed the in-season cup from Aaron Ambrose. I'm going to get yes. to that before you jump all over it. And Dylan Dubé scores again. <laughs> a strategy actually won. Like I can't believe I planned a strategy and it actually yeah. worked. Yeah, well done. Uh, and Dylan Dubé scores uh, again. Nine out of the last 10 regular season games, Dylan Dubé has found the back of the Nets. Uh, it was back-to-back for the Colorado Avalanche. They lose to the Flames 5-3, to three, to which Elliot Friedman says what? Well, great night for Calgary. Great opening night win. Makes everybody feel really good about themselves. Like you said, it was a tough back-to-back for Colorado. You can't give them power plays. You cannot give them power plays. The Flames did, and Colorado got in there and won. I thought Uyghur looked great, too. Mm -hmm. But that Huberto Lindholm pair, they could score a goal or two this year. I think it's possible they might Mm. 
Lindholm might beat five goals with the two of those guys playing together. <laughs> Holy smokes. I know. It's uh it's it's real nice. Although, I mean, uh Dubé with Kadri and Mangiapani looks really nice too. Yes. There's a few looks here for Calgary that are pretty intriguing. They were one of the teams that you had to watch last night just because of all the change and you wanted to see how it all how it all worked out. I have to say too, Jeff, I want to say also that you talked about my faux tan or, or oh, yeah, whether or not tan. I had a faux tan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody had a better tan than Ryan Leslie. Like I didn't realize the sun stayed up in Calgary until October. Oh yeah, because Leslie came out there last night and he was baked. He had a funny night. He I don't know if you saw, but did you see the thing he did on Brad Tree Living. Oh yeah, with the Timmy trumpet music, like Diaz, the Met pitcher, walking into the building. So good. Okay, Brad Tree Living associated with that. Diaz of the Mets, almost the closer after the work he did. Flames fans absolutely loving the work he did. But you know what? It wasn't always easy because he had some work to do to dig out with the departures of Kachuk and Gaudreau. And he started thinking about what former president of the Calgary Flames... And they also showed the box uh, that Kadri got his ring in. And it's a beautiful box and it has on the inside a little screen with video of Colorado celebrating the cup. Tampa did that a year ago. I th- I think they were the first team to do it. Although if I'm wrong, someone's going to correct me. No, never. No one would ever call us out here on Twitter. How about a mistake you make <laughs> on the podcast? A couple of more here. I want to get to Seattle, LA, but first, Buffalo beats the Ottawa Senators four to one. JJ Paterka scores. That's real nice. Craig Anderson thirty five yes. saves. Victor Olafson with a pair. That Paterka line with Cousins and and Krebs looked real nice. Uh, your thoughts on what we saw between the Swords and the Sens? I thought Craig Anderson wrote another incredible chapter last night. He was unreal. He's only the oldest player in the NHL, Elliot. I know. It's amazing. So one of the rumors uh, flying around, Jeff, Mm -hmm. about Anderson is that he does not take his gear home in the summer. And I asked somebody about that, and they told me that's true. So just think about that. Doesn't take his gear home all summer. He's 41 years old, shows up just basically starts putting it on at training camp, works his way into shape, and stones the Senators in the season opener. I mean, the story couldn't even be more ridiculous. And then his wife, Nicole, jokes that they're like uh, Tom Brady and Giselle with Mark Mathot on Twitter. (laughs) That's really good. What a performance last night. And I have to say, on the Game 1 overreaction meter, some of the discourse I saw about the Senators last night was up there. I don't think you can overreact to that. I didn't think they played too badly, and Anderson beat them. Anderson just beat them. One of the things I'm going to be curious about this year is what happens with Zaitsev. Because, you know, he didn't play last night. Yeah, Zub was in. I don't think I have any issue with that. You go with your best 6D, and Sanderson, for example, looks really good. But I just don't know if... That's going to work with him sitting all year. So I, I wonder how Ottawa's going to try to do this. But I wouldn't overreact to the one game. I thought Anderson stole it. Seattle 4, LA 1. The Kings fall to 0-2. A couple of things in this game. Um, after playing six, uh, just over six minutes in game one, Shane Wright was scratched for this one. Um, Brant Clark makes his NHL debut on the blue line for the Los Angeles Kings. Played 15 minutes and 17 seconds. And it was interesting. Todd McClellan after said something to the effect of, we dressed six defensemen. He wasn't number six. He wasn't number five. And I don't believe he was number four. He had a real good night. 
Uh, speaking of Brant Clark, if you're the Barry Colts of the OHL, you hate to hear that. You're happy for the kid, but that means you might not be getting back one of the best players in the OHL. We wish he would have stunk. <laughs> yes. Um, so Shane Wright scratch. Brant Clark has a nice night in the losing effort. And Matt Beniers uh, with one assist. He has points in 11 of the 12 NHL games that he's played, Elliot. He's bigger than I thought he was. And he looks like he's 30. Yeah, he's... <laughs> Like I, I really had a chance to watch him last night against the Kings, and he carries himself really confidently. Like he's a big guy; he's listed at six two, but he's not listed really heavy one seventy five. And I'm I'm looking at Wikipedia here, which is always accurate. Mm. But he he looks bigger than that. Like he just looks like a a, a big man. And he's very confident carrying the puck. Like I said, I picked power for the Calder this year. It's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of good rookies this year. And the thing about Beniers, too, is I think McTavish is obviously a guy who's going to be in this, too. I think power has an advance because he plays deep, so he's going to play more. But this might come down to which team does the best. And Seattle should have four points. They have three but they should have four. They played one bad period, Elliot. One bad period, and it cost them against the Ducks. And this Beniers, man, he looks like an absolute grand slam of a pick and a player for the Kraken. Now, the Kraken are going to sit here and they're going to say, look, we got three out of four points, and you're talking about a guy who isn't playing. But I do wonder what the plan here is for Wright. I trust Ron Francis and his overall vision. I think if anything Francis gets accused of, it's being too cautious, which I think in today's world is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. But I have to believe he's got a plan for this. And I would put my faith in him because if you take a look at Carolina, Carolina's roster is full of guys who he went slowly with who turned out to be good players. So I, I definitely give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm curious about it here, though, because th- there's no point in him playing in the OHL. I don't think that makes any sense. I'm just really curious to see how Seattle's going to go about this. You know, one thing that they might do, and again, this is only two games, but I wonder ab- World I wonder about sending him to the World Juniors and then bringing him back. Yeah. Again, a lot of it will depend, obviously, on his play, on where Seattle is at, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think that's the worst idea. It's only game two, so we're still really early here, and there's a lot of time before that. But if this is the way it's going to go, it makes a lot of sense. There is your Friday morning update. To our great players and our great fans, welcome to opening night of the 2022-23 NHL season. What's better than this? Good luck to all players. Let's have a great season. Well, thank you very much, Chris Rooney. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Once again, Jeff Merrick alongside Elliot Friedman and Emil Dulwich. Hey, Elliot, you know what happened to me this week? Mm, you ate lettuce. Uh, that did happen, but more specifically, as we say in the Atlantic, I got dunked on hard. By who? Philadelphia Flyers fans. Why? Were all over me. Well, remember last podcast when we were talking about the Flyers and whether the Flyers or their fans would stomach a rebuild. And I said, I don't really know whether the marketplace has an appetite for that. Oh, they were all over you? Oh, all over me, about. 
we don't mind a rebuild. We just want to see a direction. If they have to tear it down to build it back up, we're fine with that. We'll go through it. It's never happened here. It was, and the tw- I'm still getting the tweets, and bless them. Bless all Flyers fans for dunking on me on this one. So based on mm. Philadelphia hockey Twitter, I could not have been more wrong in saying that Philadelphia Flyers fans won't sit through a rebuild. What do you think about that? Well, I think that 31 other fan bases will soon find out you can be more wrong about uh, certain <laughs> things. That's number one. You know what happens, I'm convinced, Jeff? What's that? Sometimes we just forget that the Philly sports fan, because they have this reputation as being a bunch of uh, negative Nancys, they're actually really sophisticated and smart fans. And they do have a good view on their team and you know what should be going on around there or what they think should be going on around there. And so I can't say I'm incredibly surprised mm-hmm. that they would be insulted that you would question <laughs> their heart for anything, to be perfectly honest. In a way, I was kind of surprised because when you say that a marketplace doesn't have a stomach for a rebuild, I kind of, if I'm a fan, I kind of take it as flattering that you 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 won't have a stomach for deliberately being bad. But Flyers fans did not take it that way. But fans don't see it like that way. Basically, if if you say they don't have the stomach for something, you're calling them cowards. That's the way people react to it, whether it's right or wrong. You're not brave enough to be awful. You're not brave, <laughs> you're not brave enough, enough to, to stink. You don't have the stomach <laughs> for losing. You guys aren't tough enough to be bad. Take that, Philadelphia Flyers fans. No, I get it. Like, I like honestly, Freach, almost as soon as the podcast was published, right away, Flyers fans on me, zoomp, fast. Well, first of all, I, I do want to say one thing. I also do think that it is harder for a lot of teams to tank out of COVID. Because of all the money that's been lost? Yes, Not everybody, obviously, because some teams are doing it, but some. You know who I wondered about that with? Who? Vancouver. Because the Canadian teams got hit really hard, really hard, harder than the American teams, most of them anyway. We all expected Vancouver to be sending bodies out the door and, you know, we're loading up on our picks and, you know, developing prospects and stuff. And next thing you know, it's no, they're not. They're just reloading what they have right now and they're going for the playoffs. Off the Vancouver Canucks page, back to Philadelphia. Joel Farabee is interesting for a number of reasons. One, he's a, you know, big piece of the... Uh, of the puzzle here and the future for the Philadelphia Flyers. But two, I'd be curious your thoughts on this one. Joel Farabee now becomes the third player to undergo disc replacement. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jack Eichel, the first, Tyler Johnson, the second, and now Joel Farabee is the third. We wondered about this after Eichel's surgery. He looked good the other night, I thought. He really did look good, and that's great for Vegas. Uh, Great for Eichel and great for Vegas and great for Kelly McCrimmon. We wondered if this was going to be the beginning of a new way to handle these types of injuries and whether, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to point at this and say, you know, this will be whatever Jack Eichel does in the NHL, whatever he does in his career, part of his legacy is going to be he was the first one that had this surgery, which is now commonplace. Do you think we're now getting to that spot? Now Farabee is the third. Clearly, yes, because more than one person has done it. Look, as you know, Jeff, we took a lot of heat for the positions that we took during that whole situation. There were people who were not happy with us. And my whole belief at the time was, 
I think people should get the choice to the medical care that they want to have. And it's your body and you should get to control the kind of medical care that you choose to get. And, you know, it's only, it hasn't even been a year since Eichel's had his. So even though he looked great the other night, I think it's still too soon to be doing any victory laps. There's still more we have to see and learn here. But I am hopeful that this is something that not only players can see as positive for them, but even teams can see as positive for them. What we forget here is that the reason that the Sabres fought Eichel so hard on this was that at the time there was no real evidence that it could work. And I hope that in hockey, in hockey, in hockey, in hockey. Yes, yes, yes. You're right. Thank you for, thank you for that. And I hope that by Eichel doing it and Johnson doing it and now Farabee does it and anyone else who does it comes back and has a good career because it's a solution, not only for the players, but for the teams as well. And ultimately, that's the victory I think we all want. It is. By the way, I wanted to give the Flyers real credit about the Tortorella series, or I guess I'm calling it the Tortorella series because <laughs> he was the star. he's dominating. <laughs> but the, but the four-part... The four part series that they did called the standard. It was it was so good. No, just call the watching, jo- just call the Tortorella series. The Tortorella show. <laughs> you know, I, I've been watching before the season started, um there's been so much good stuff I've been watching. Uh I've been watching Cobra Kai, fantastic. I know a lot of people out there are watching Dahmer, fantastic. Uh, my wife tells me this thing, the patient is really good. This cats series is good, but I have to say, nothing I saw was better than the Tortorella <laughs> show in Philadelphia. Yep. That thing was so... And and I say this too, and uh, we always talk about Amal on the show, but also the people who do this, the editors. A, a good editor makes such a difference. And the way that bit was cut was so well done. I always wondered how you won an award as best editor when you don't know what was actually cut. Well... How can, how can you judge a good editor until you know what's on the floor? It's a great question, but I think you can tell. Are you entertained by the piece? Oh no, no, I get it. Like I'm, I'm saying this tongue in cheek because you can just see oh, okay. some things. No, I think that's actually a legitimate question. But I've always wondered about that. Like, how do you judge best editor until you know? Like, okay, so here's the raw, and here's what they, and here's what they got to afterwards. But I know, like, there are some pieces you can see and go, like, okay, that went on too long. Okay, yeah, they've beaten this point uh, to death. Yes. You know, let's just let's just move on with it here. Like, oh man, this thing needs a good editor. So I, I do say that tongue in cheek, but nonetheless, yes, a good editor. Do you know what Amal texted me, by the way, on the other day after he was cutting the uh, Eastern Conference podcast? Uh, what's that? He said, I cut 35 minutes out of this because you were too repetitive. <laughs> so that's a good editor. And even still, that pod came in at like an hour 40. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so we're a couple of days into, uh, well, I mean, the season started last week in Prague with Nashville taking two from San Jose, but we're a couple of days deep into the, the North American NHL action. Which teams have, have impressed you or turned your heads? Like, we'll get to the kids in Montreal, we'll get to Edmonton, we'll get to Vancouver, we've seen them. We started with the Philadelphia Flyers. Any American teams or American performances jump out at you? As uh, And I know it's only a game in. And you say, hmm, we'll see if this continues. Opening night, Madison Square Garden, I thought the Rangers looked really fast. Yep. Really fast. As a matter of fact, watching that second game between uh, Vegas and the Kings, because of how fast the Rangers looked and how much jump the Rangers have had, I thought that Kings versus Golden Knights game looked slow, and it wasn't. 
It was just that the Rangers looked that fast. Tampa had a real hard time keeping up with the Rangers in that game. And again, it's it's one of 82, but I I really was impressed with them. I'll say this too. Someone called me on uh, on Wednesday morning and said, I know Zabinajad's making an $8.5 million, but he's underpaid. He may be the most underrated superstar in the NHL. I think you made this point on television when at Sportsnet we were asked to submit our top 10 players in the NHL. I don't know that anybody at our shop would have had Mika Zibanejad there or mm-hmm. anybody really outside of a diehard New York Rangers fan who had put Mika Zibanejad in there. But if you look at his performances the last few seasons and, you know, Tuesday night against Tampa, he was spectacular with two gorgeous goals and should have had three on that empty netter as well. I don't know, man. Like, as far as first-line center, centers go, and first-line centers get all the attention, mm-hmm. except for Mika Zibanejad. And he really deserves to be considered amongst those other greats. Yeah, he, he was fantastic. That one goal, I said it on TV that night. The shorty? The first goal. The shorthanded Where, goal. you know, he was on the edges. Like, I can't do that in my shoes, what he does <laughs> on his skates. I, with my own two feet. The other thing also I, I was thinking was the power plays. Edmonton's power play changed their game around. And, and I know the Vancouver fans were mad about the missed call on Quinn Hughes. And and yes, they missed the call and it led to a goal and that stunk, but there were still 30 plus minutes to play, right? Like you can't mm-hmm. you can't let that ruin your game. But also Colorado scored four times on, on their power play. So good teams with good power plays, right from the start of the season, Edmonton and Colorado were sending you messages that you cannot... Uh, give them extra opportunities. Uh, the other team I, I was really impressed with, and it wasn't the game I was really watching on Wednesday night, but I was I was really impressed with Anaheim. Uh, they were down 4-1 to Seattle. They had every reason to fold, and they, they came back and they won that game. And when you're rebuilding and that's your home opener, you send everybody home happy. Everybody who left that game in Anaheim is going to be saying, I'm coming back and I'm buying a ticket for another night. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're a building team, that's what you want to get out of your home opener. You you want a night where people are saying, I want to come back and I want to see this again. And Anaheim sure did that. How'd you like that line of Strom, McTavish, and Troy Terry? Terry, of course, with the overtime heroics, but uh, your boy McTavish looked real good really for good. Really good. Yeah, they look good. They looked really good. Yeah, you look at them, you know, I know they're playing McTavish on the left side right now. I mean, he is a center. That's where he's going to play. If you believe in that you're, and this has been told many times, if you're going to win the Stanley Cup, you know, down the middle in net, Anaheim's pretty close to running out. Trevor Zegras down the middle, Mason McTavish down the middle, Ryan Strom down the middle, Isaac Lindstrom, who's like a, you know, a, a poor man's Patrice Bergeron down the middle. Like, they look... Dallas Akins has a real luxury here, or is going to have a luxury here in a couple of seasons when these guys all fully mature. Strom's already there, of course, but they look good down the middle for each. They really, really look good down the middle. I think Boston, too. Boston was another team I was really impressed with. Like, Krejci should take a year off every season, comes back and gets four <laughs> points. Are you talking about the checkmates? Yeah, that's a good that's, that's a, a good call. nickname Dale Arnold came Dale up with. Arnold. You said it was Dale Arnold, right? Yeah. So Yeah, Dale Arnold, yeah, yeah. He he looked he looked really good. Someone said to me, like, did this raise the price on Pasternak uh, this morning? And oh. you know what my answer to that is? No, because the price is already high. There's no dispute between the Bruins and Pasternak about what the guy is worth. I think everybody understands it. 
I just think it's, you know, what's the number going to be and all that. But, you know, McAvoy goes to 975, and you know me, I'm I'm right on top of the McAvoy train, so I've got no problem with that. But if, if you're going to take McAvoy to 975, you have to understand that what, what that's going to mean for Posternak. And, I, and I'm sure the Bruins are saying to him, look, we know it's going to be eight figures, and I would expect it's going to be eight figures. That's just my impression. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. I'd be I'd be personally surprised if it wasn't. You know, obviously, I think they're going to sit here and say, what what is that going to mean exactly? But you think four points on opening night, all of a sudden the Bruins are waking up here and saying, oh, we've got to pay him even more money? No. I They know that they're going to have to pay this guy a ton. He's going to get a ton. I just think it's a matter of what a ton means. You know what I'm just really happy about? <clears throat> David Krejci's back in the NHL. I'll tell you one thing about him, too, is he's a really good talker. Just a person who, over the years, I've asked him you know, just to point some things out to me, why things happen on the ice. And I don't know if he's got teachers in his family, but he's really good at explaining things to dumb hockey broadcasters. He's always <laughs> been very good about... That's one of the things I missed about not being on the at ringside is talking to guys like that who I knew I could go to and I could say, can you explain to me why this happens? And... He would tell me this is why this happens. I always like that about him. Let me ask you because I have a very specific name for this. When when he's explaining things to, as you call them, dumb sportscasters, does he try to couch everything in sports language or use sports examples so you can understand? The word that I use to describe it is speaking Portuguese. I like that. So you can only use sort of sports lingo to explain things to dumb guys like you and me. He didn't. And, and you know what I think the reason was, and this is just a theory without asking him, is that I think it's because English is not his first language. Mm-hmm. And I find that when you deal with people who, whether they're uh, you know Czech or Swedish or whoever, they don't do that because they don't understand the colloquialisms, right? Right. So he just gives it to you straight. And that's another reason I really like to talk to him. Mm, that's another reason why I had a lot of fun in the um, at the European tour, the Players Media Tour in Paris, is to your point, they just guys just give it to you straight. I love talking. And we were talking about this during the tour. I just love talking to uh, to European hockey players. Mm-hmm. as filterless as they come oh you know what i should i want to get your thoughts on what's that one very specific question about the matthias samuelson contract yeah this is seven years 30 million dollars who's taking the bigger risk kevin adams or matthias samuelson that's a great question i think it depends on who you ask right because you may look at it and say whoa that's a lot of money or then you may look at it and say well hang on a second if this guy continues to play as we've seen so far. And I know that it's the offensive guys that get paid, but you know, you know last time Jacob Slavin was making a pretty good living with the, with the Carolina Hurricanes, you know, could he actually make more? Could he actually be hurting himself by locking in at that number for seven years? What do you think? I did have some people who, who told me that. The best line I heard was when, when he got 30 million, he hasn't scored yet. Someone said to me, you've got Hope Elliott. You haven't scored an NHL goal either. Maybe you could make $30 million. <laughs> I said, I'll take it. Where do I sign? I'll, I'll do that right now. I did have people who said to me that they think on the back end of that deal, Samuelson will regret it, that he will be worth more than that. And that's fine. I, I, I think that. But I think right now, it's clear he's ahead of it. And... You know, I I do subscribe to the theory that Buffalo is going to have to pay Dalene. They're going to have to pay Power. They could have to pay both these guys a lot. Dylan Cousins. Dylan Cousins. And they're just saying, look, we we, want to know 
what our numbers are. But the thing I remember, and I, I didn't remember this to actually, I was making the notes for this podcast, Jeff, is that last year when I was talking about Buffalo's D and I was talking about, you know, they have, they have power, they, they have Darlene, like they got good young D. Anybody remotely connected to the organization or even some people who played against them said, don't forget Samuelson. Like this guy's a player. Mm-hmm. He may be raw and he may be young, but this guy is a player. So there was respect for him. Now, I had a really interesting comment from someone who said, you know, the Sabres haven't learned from their Tyler Myers mistake. And it's interesting, but, you know, that was a long-term deal, even longer than this, more money from a player who won Rookie of the Year. And I thought about that a bit. Maybe, I will concede the argument if somebody wants to make it. You know, the one thing that I will say this about Buffalo is, years ago, and I've talked about this piece before, when the Pagulas bought the team, they spent a lot of money on players who were not in Buffalo before. Christian Ehrhoff, Vili Leno, yeah. and it, it really screwed up their dressing room. Like some of their uh, players who were there, and, you know, Pominville was there, uh, Derek Roy was there, and I, and I can't remember who specifically said it to me, but they admitted it screwed up their dressing room. And the one thing I will say is, is if you're going to err, you never want to, but err with the guys you know. Because I think what it's going to do is you've got a team there that seems really close, Jeff. Yeah. And now you can, and now they're going to look and they're going to say, "Hey, this guy who's one of us, he was the one who got rewarded." And I think on a team like that, it does resonate. You know, that's not just about the players either. That's about the general manager. That's about the coach. That's about hang on. We've tried doing it with people we didn't know. Now we're going to the ones that we do. We all know the association with Kevin Adams and the Pagula family and how far back that stretches. You know, we look at Granado. Like, I, I can't help but thinking, you know, somewhere there's going to be a promotion for Seth Appert, who's who's coaching in Rochester right now, too. Like, it does seem very much like right now, that is the vibe around the Sabres. Mm-hmm. These are our people. These are the ones we're going forward with. I don't think that's just players for each. I think that's at a lot of levels for Buffalo. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you on this one, Merrick. Like, look at some of the teams we've talked about who've handed out big deals this year. Calgary, earth-shattering summer. Ottawa, trying to rebuild consumer confidence in the market. And Buffalo, I I think the same thing. I think they were farther ahead of Ottawa. I think the end of last season really went a long way for them. But you're still trying to build it, right? And same thing with the Islanders, like Barzell. That one also, like people looked at his counting stats and said, are you guys nuts? He's theirs and you're rebuilding consumer confidence in the team after a really tough, tough year. And Tavares left a couple of years ago. I, I think people forget from time to time the market forces in negotiations. And that's part of it for me with the Sabres. Uh, I also want to throw in Mike Weber and Mike Pekka's name in there too when you're looking at like within the Sabres organization. Don't be surprised if these names pop up more and more. Anyway, um, you mentioned Matthew Barzell for a second. I am curious because this conversation will continue until they sign new deals or something else happens to them. How much did that Barzell deal change things, if at all, for Dylan Larkin and Bo Horvat? And I'll frame it this way. When the Edmonton Oilers were negotiating for uh, with Darnell Nurse for an extension, there was a number and there was a term 
that we all looked at and said, okay, that's probably where Darnell Nurse is going to settle in. And I think everyone was kind of close to it. And then Seth Jones signed that whopper of a contract. And I got a text from someone like right away. And it was just Darnell Nurse just went up. <laughs> so Matthew Barzell signs a deal with the Islanders. Where's the where's the effect? Where's the where's the where's the shockwaves most felt? Well, we've talked about this a little bit, so I, I don't want to repeat myself too much because Almol gets on me when I <laughs> when I repeat myself too much. But it's affected the market. It's affected Larkin. And it's affected Horvat. You know, we'll see. You know, I, I think Detroit has understands that they like Larkin a lot, but I, I think there's a limit to where they're willing to go, and we'll see what that means. I think with Vancouver, look, I, I've talked a lot about Horvat and what I think his market value is, and I, I don't like to repeat myself a lot. You know, the, the one thing I'd say is that Jim Rutherford and Pat Morris, those guys have been around, and Morris is the agent for Horvat. Those guys have been around a long time. Like, Jim Rutherford has been around since fire was invented. Oh. And Pat Morris, not quite as old, but close. And these guys have done millions of negotiations. They've seen this up and down. I just refuse to believe that two people with this much experience mm. can't find a way to get it done. Ah, Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's daily deals. Their chicken wings are double dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and they're half price on Mondays. Uh, half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them. Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday. The only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. And number 31. Speaking of getting it done, the Montreal Canadiens on their opening night got it done before the game with the ceremony and the ovation for Carey Price and then on the ice with Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield and the Maple Leaf killer Josh Anderson. Back to the line, Gooley shot, blocked in front by Muzzin gave it away and uh, First game, first win. Good job, Martin St. Louis. Your thoughts on the Habs? Very good. I was shocked he didn't challenge the 3-3 goal. Here's why I think he made the right call. First of all, that is so close. It was close. Oh, it was close. oh, I'm glad that I didn't have to make the decision, but I would have made the same, and here's why. In that game, I want to make sure I at least get a point because if you make that call and you're wrong and there was probably a good, because that's not definitive, so they're probably going to err on the side of we're going to give this one to the officials on the ice. Then you put the Maple Leafs on the power play and there's only so long you can tempt fate with that power play and they score, mm -hmm. then you squander at least that one point. This one at least gives you a shot at getting the point and getting it into overtime. That's what, that's my feeling when it's that close in that situation. But I know you disagree. I know you disagree. No, you know what? I have to, it's not that I disagree. I, I think you actually make a really good argument uh, and one that I wish I'd thought of in the moment. My feeling was I have a young team I don't know what my year is going to be. Why shouldn't I challenge it? You might as well just go for it. There's two minutes left in the game. And 
I agree with you. I think it was really close. Now, I think your argument's excellent, and you turned out to be right. And I have to admit, I was impressed he didn't challenge it. I would have. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I found out later was I made a couple of calls, and what someone told me was that the league has told the teams we're not overturning really close calls. And basically, I heard the verbiage that was used was, don't ask us to make a hope call for you. If it's close, we're we're not doing it. Like, we have to have real reason to believe we overturn. And I don't think they would have had real reason to overturn that one. So he made the right call. I don't know if I would have done the same thing, but he made the right call. We, we've talked a lot about rookies and who's good. Everybody knows my love for Jack Eye. That there may be another def- young defenseman in the zone. Uh-oh. I thought Gouley was great. Almost twenty three minutes for each. Yeah. Well, he led. He led nice time. Like he was that good. He was excellent. Caden Gooley was fantastic. Uh, one of the one of the visuals that I take away from that game: the visual of Arbor Jack Eye at the bench after he gets you know tangled and commits the foul. Uh, on Alex Kerfoot and the referee points to the dot. We're going penalty shot and you're a rookie and it's your first game and you've just caused a penalty shot in a really tight game and you're sitting there on the bench, you know, Weidman's consoling him and the whole thing afterwards, like, hey, park it, kid, it's over. Uh, what a thing to have to go through in your first game. Like you always think of, okay, so you do the initiation lap and all these, like what are the things you go through in your first game? Arbor Jack guy will say, yeah, I caused the penalty shot and I had to sit there and eat it while Weidman consoled me. I think if you're a coach, you're hoping that Weidman or another veteran will do something like that. I thought Goulet was great. I was really impressed with him. And what I saw, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, what I saw is a Toronto team that's very worried about how it plays in transition because they got beaten down the ice Mm -hmm. three times and those turned into three goals. So it says to me that the Maple Leafs know if these turn into track meets, they're going to finish in the Elliot Friedman position, eighth. So they just don't want that to happen. And this is also part of what Keith talked about post-game was, you know, we know that under Martin St. Louis, the Montreal Canadiens are a much better rush team. That's where they create their offense. This team is excellent on the rush. And we saw that with uh, the Caulfield-Suzuki two-on-ones, specifically with that second one with a gorgeous pass from Nick Suzuki over to Cole Caulfield, who makes a beautiful and some would say perfect shot to salt it away. I think that was part of the frustration. It was like, we, we know how good Montreal is as a rush team and we didn't do anything mm-hmm. about it. I think that was part of it. Like, he went out of his way to mention, under San Luis, this team moves the puck up the ice. We did nothing to stop yeah. them. And as I said before, like you hate repeating yourself. I hate saying the same thing about the Maple Leafs too. It's not an 82-game season. It's 82 one-game seasons. That's how this team is. I am proud to say, Jeff, I was right about one thing. What's that? On Wednesday. When they were introducing all of the players on Montreal who were not in the lineup, I said, I bet you Price is here. <laughs> and I can't remember who else, but someone else said to me, no, he's, he's, he's not going to be there. And I said, I bet you he is here. And I'm glad I was right because I don't often look smart. That's number one. But I'm also glad I was right because I wanted to see him get that moment. (laughs) 
if that was goodbye, Carey Price got his goodbye, right? Mm-hmm. And we just didn't know. And the thing is, too, is he looks great. First of all, I knew he was going to come out in a cowboy hat. That was the second thing I was right about. First of all, I got a text from someone with another team who said, when I saw the cowboy hat and the smoke, I thought it was the undertaker <laughs> that was going to come out. <laughs> oh, is it Jake Allen should have been Paul Bear, like come up, with, come up, skate up with the urn. You know, Montreal, they do things right. They do their yeah. uh, ceremonies right. It's very important. And so I just had a feeling that he was going to be there. And I thought it was a really nice moment. And I know there were some fans out there. I know some of you sent me tweets. This is this, this is taking too long. Uh, you should only introduce the the key players, whatever. Montreal to me is an exception because they always do it right. So I thought it was a great ceremony, and I was glad to see that uh, Price got as part of it. And, and to me, he looked he looked really good. He looked really refreshed. He looked really good. Uh, you know who said it right? On the show last night? Who's that? Leon Dreisaitl. So you played the piece that you did with uh, with Dreisaitl when we were in Paris and you had your spray tan. And where can Leon I, talked I, about- Can I just say this? <laughs> you, that you're, like, people were asking me if I had a spray on tan. I said this to you on the radio today, and I'm going to say it again. I am married. Do you, does anybody out there think- I feel that I have to look good for anyone again. <laughs> like until Steph throws me out of the house, yeah. I don't have to look for anybody good for anyone again. So I'm not doing spray on tans. I'm not doing collagen lips. I'm not doing Botox. Botox. No, I'm not doing Botox. I'm not wearing a toupee. I there's. <laughs> I am lazy now. I have a wife. I don't have to impress anybody. Uh, but you're not lazy. Like every time I call you, it's like, I'm going for a walk. Oh, I'm on the bike. Oh, I'm working out. Like I do want to get into better shape. <laughs> like that's taking good care of yourself. That's not about like just fooling around with your appearance. That is actually, you know, trying to live <laughs> past 53. Okay. Well, well done. Uh, but Dreis, you know, you talked to Dreisaitl and one of the things you said was he, he mused about, you know, Connor McDavid can score 60 goals. And then that game against Vancouver on Wednesday night, he showed that Leon Dreisaitl's right and Connor McDavid, if he wants it, could probably score 60 goals for each. First of all, very unselfish play by Evander Kane. That's that's one thing to yep. mention. Second thing was Ben Stelter. And, and the Oilers deserve a lot of credit for this. Yeah. Like paid proper respect to that young man and his family. You know, Connor McDavid mentioned that to Scott Oak in the post-game interview. It was important to do that. Finally, I know it's never your preference to talk about personal milestones, but you reach 700 points tonight, 3-1 and one to get to 701, in fact, in 488 games. And I think that deserves a comment. Anything? Um, you know what? Tonight was for, for our buddy Ben. Um, you know, we uh, we miss him, we, you know, for the whole Stelter family. Um, you know, we think about him. You know, I said in an interview kind of right out, you know, Long, a little bit ago that you know I think about him uh, after big wins and tonight was a big win and I'm thinking about him um, you know his famous saying was play the bomba baby so I think we'll have to listen to that tonight perfect thanks for your time thanks a lot I think the Oilers deserve uh, a lot of credit for the way they paid proper tribute to him yep uh, but you know Dreisaitl he's such a good talker you know we were very lucky to be given as much time as we were with him and he delivered in a lot of ways there was a moment I thought Vancouver was going to win that game Jeff when I mean, it was 3 nothing 
After Kuzmenko scored, <laughs> even be, even before that, I, I in the first period, uh, McDavid had a chance where he was coming down the middle of the ice, and Demko made a blocker save off him, and I was like, wow, like that was McDavid from the slot, and Demko beat him. I said, this is this is going to be Vancouver's night, which clearly was not as good as my Carey Price prediction. But I think one of the reasons that Drysaddle has been so open about this, and this was my theory after the game on Wednesday night, was that he knows that McDavid's going to do it, that McDavid agrees. Because I remember talking with uh, Sidney Crosby and Jason Spezza about how they both were told they're too easy to defend because people know they're going to pass first. Now, I would never say that McDavid is too easy to defend. I think that's a ludicrous statement. But I do think defenses can cheat because they know that he's going to pass first. And so if if Sidney Crosby realizes that and changed his game, and Jason Spezza realized that and changed his game, certainly Connor McDavid's going to do the same thing. And I think he's going to do it to make himself a more dangerous player. Uh, I don't disagree. Well, one more thing I'd like to say about Drysaddle. There was there was yeah. one thing that was was cut from the piece. Okay. Sometimes editors take this as a shot when I. I thought we were it. praising editors like two seconds ago. This is not a shot at Michael Attic, who did a great job uh, uh, cutting that piece. But when when he says it's expected that he wins the player poll for best passer, there was a bit more of a conversation where I said to him because he says maybe I shouldn't say that or whatever he said and. Expected. <laughs> no, no, no I, I appreciate the honesty. No, it's, no, it, you know, I think, you know what, I, I really do think, Leon, that the fans out there would love to hear the players be yeah. that kind of answer that you just gave. <laughs> no, um, I take big, big pride in my passing. I think the guys that have... I do think that the, there are fans who like the more reserved nature of NHL players. Like, you know, whenever an athlete, quote unquote, brags, there are some people who like it and some people who don't. But I think in the NHL, there is room for a little more of that, the removal of the modesty, like less modesty. I think we have room for that in our sport. And that's why I wanted to say that because I don't think there's a problem with a guy like Leon Dreisaitl saying that I expect myself to be the best passer in the league and, I think I should be can be credited as such. Like I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Was Muhammad Ali one of, if not the greatest athletes of all time? I, I found him to be incredibly modest. Muhammad Ali? I'm, that's, that was a joke. <laughs> you know where I'm going Insert with that. Insert sarcasm font here. Wow, yes. geez, get the hook out of your mouth, Merrick. I think you know where I'm going with that. Okay, yeah. I want to finish up by talking about Hockey Canada, and there are more yep. stories still to come, and there's more information that we can present to you as it becomes available. So this was a big week. Um, Scott Smith is no longer CEO of Hockey Canada, and the board, whom I don't believe anyone was going to seek re-election anyhow, uh, has announced that all of them will be stepping down by the time the uh, the AGM rolls around, which is on December the 17th. Now, there has been an interim governance review, uh, which Hockey Canada has seen and has subsequently released. Uh, this is the Cromwell report, Elliot, that it's we've It's a part of it, right? For. The, the yeah, full this one is, this is, is yeah. the, the full one is, is coming later. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like all the recommendations that come out of the Cromwell report are just that, they're recommendations. This is an overview of governance uh, of how Hockey Canada has uh, conducted its affairs. It is up to the 13 members afterwards to enact, uh, whether they choose to do so or to not, uh, not enact all the recommendations uh, that former uh, Justice Cromwell recommends here. 
There is a meeting uh, this weekend as well, Elliot, on Saturday. Uh, and as we all know, this isn't a finish line. This is only part of the process of you know, a, a new Hockey Canada emerging from what it is now and what it was when this entire scandal began. Uh, I, I read some of the report and uh, a few things. Uh, if I remember correctly, Jeff, he he said that they should have sort of like an interim governance group for a year. Yeah. And, and that's true. Like, Don't rush. Don't rush. Find the right people. Put responsible placeholders in place. I thought it was also really interesting about how he said that one of the most controversial things that came out of this was that the fees were going to different funds to pay uh, settlements. Some were injury yep. settlements. Some, unfortunately, were not. And he said that that wasn't wrong, but what was dishonest was how much money was going to them and how they were administered. If I can add one thing, uh, and one of the issues as well, and, and you're right, like the establishment of the fund is sound business practice. Everybody uses, everyone has funds set aside to settle lawsuits and claims that insurance won't cover. That is standard. That's, governments use that. Businesses use that. One of the issues as well is not reporting yeah. to the members those settlements. That was a big one from Justice Cromwell. Yes. And as you said, there's a meeting on Saturday, so I'm sure Saturday night we're going to have more information of it uh, during Hockey Night in Canada. You know, the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, was the Ian Cole situation. And uh, Ian Cole had his meeting with the NHL on Wednesday, and uh, there was no formal resolution announced out of there. The Lightning play their second game of the season on Friday night in Columbus. And one of the things I had heard and it's a very tricky situation, and I want to make it very clear. We all understand the seriousness and the sensitivity of the situation. I think the thing that's become the biggest challenge for everybody involved was that the accusation came from one anonymous Twitter feed. And one of the things we've heard a lot behind the scenes in the past couple of days is, can you suspend someone based on one anonymous Twitter feed? And everybody is saying that these are serious allegations that need to be investigated and discovered. But if you don't get any more than that, are you setting too dangerous a precedent? And I think what they've been trying to do is see, can they get any inf more information on this? And that's what they have searched for, more information. But if they can't, I do think throughout the sport, people are saying, is this enough to suspend someone for? And so I want, I, I don't know when we're going to get clarity, but I do know that that's become a very big part of the conversation because it's just, it's not a precedent a lot of people are, are feel comfortable setting. They understand why it had to happen in the moment mm -hmm. and maybe a pause on the situation for a few days while they saw if they could get more information made sense. So I think one of the major parts of conversation is, if you can't find any more evidence than what we have already seen, how long is it okay to keep a player out of the lineup? Before reinstating him. Yes. Um, as well, story continues. 
Um, our next podcast recording will be Sunday, as Elliot mentions. Uh, watch for 32 Thoughts in the second intermission of Hockey Night in Canada this weekend. Uh, at the next podcast, what we should probably get back to doing now that we're full on and the season's begun is uh, get to some emails and phone calls, get the thought line going oh, yeah, again yeah. and get more interaction uh, with everybody. Because on the one hand, it was great to be able to talk to everybody during the Boston Pizza 32 tour. That was a lot of fun. I uh, got to meet uh, a lot of our listeners in, uh, in seven uh, distinct Canadian markets, and that was great. Now let's get back to talking to people uh, by email and, and by the phone line as well. So very much looking forward to that. And again, the thought line, as it's called, one 311 3232 one 311 3232 and the email, 32thoughts at sportsnet.ca. Uh, we'll get to these on Sunday. Again, 32thoughts at Comments, statements, insults, preferably to Elliot, are all welcome. Taking us out as one man band from Miami, Florida, Aaron Edwards, stage name Real Live Animals, lives a simple life. He makes music, is a producer and engineer, enjoys games, eats, sleeps, and likes to exercise. After my own heart. With Automobile, here's Real Live Animals on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. <laughs>